The Secrets of Sacred Art is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Sacred Art, where we unearth the hidden treasures history, and deeper meanings in religious and sacred art. To see the art in this episode, you can watch The Secret of Sacred Arts at StarQuest YouTube channel. We're your hosts, Catherine Laffrey and Alex Murray. Welcome to Episode 6. Today, we're going to spend some time with an artist that many listeners are familiar with, William Aldolf Bouguereau. Even if you don't recognize the name, I am confident you're going to recognize his works, Bouguereau lived in the 19th century and was one of the most successful artists of his time. His, he started, his star dis, ascend, descended um, when the Impressionists became dominant in the Salon, and by the 20th century he was nearly forgotten. Who was this man who dominated the art world in Paris in the 19th century, and why was his artwork dismissed so absolutely in the 20th so, Catherine, we both have some pretty significant experiences with Bouguereau. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how and when you became aware of him? Well, I know I've seen his art probably since I was in college, which was too long ago to admit how long ago it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, we won't mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I have always been drawn to it. And not all the time do I recognize that it's his work. Mm. You know, some of his work is rather timeless. And so sometimes it's hard for me to figure out, wait, when was this done? So I don't always attribute it to him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, now I'm going to say in full disclosure that I am not... I'm not a great fan of Bouguereau. I've known his work. Uh, One of my art teachers um, was highly influenced by him and she absolutely loved him. And and she really painted in his um, technique and style and me being like a not very talented and um, or disciplined student. I mean, I tried to, but I really, I really didn't want to paint like that. I mean, I tried my best, but I didn't enjoy it. Um, So, he, his style is just, I find it a bit sentimental. Um, I don't care for the, yeah. So this would be like the perfect example. This is just not my kind of art, but the reason I wanted to, um, feature him and really introduce people to him is on lots of different levels. I think he's, he's an artist that is worth discussing. And also I wanted to bring in the point that you know, when you look at art in an objective way rather than a subjective way, you don't have to like the style to appreciate the style and to see that it has um, relevance in the world and in the lives of other people. So that's why I, even though I'm not a big fan of the style of his paintings, I do think he has made such an impact on um on the individual lives, especially of Catholics, that he's, he's worth people getting to know better. So <clears throat> that might, um, so you're not a fan of this dinner plate. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> it's just, I mean, again, you know, you can't argue with the technique, the skill, yes. 
or even the um, even the subject matter. But it's just and no, folks, that's not really a dinner plate. No, just it's so not. Everybody knows <laughs> it's probably been reproduced as a dinner plate. Even exactly. I'm sure I've seen that. Yeah, or like a little knick- or uncle's houses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a little knickknack thing, you yes. know, like to keep. I don't know, jewelry and a little jewelry, porcelain jewelry box, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you do see his his stuff everywhere on things like that. But, um, you know, as I said, it's not something it's not a requirement that you like something in order to appreciate it. Uh, There are just so many. How many times have we walked into churches or um, even, you know, museums and you look at something and you think, you know, or, you know, like, oh, oh, that's kind of interesting. But if you kind of really look at it in a different way, you can still really appreciate and respect respect the, the subject matter and the artist who created it. I feel a lot of it has to do with um, intended audience. You mm. can tell that being later, um, like within, it was the eight, late 1800s. So there was a whole <clears throat> different market for art. I think then. Yeah. So yeah. you end up with you end up with the little trinket, the memory item, you know. I I went to this place, I want something to remember it. And so yeah, yeah you get yeah. you get the art that's a little more commercial. Yeah, and mm-hmm. also, you know, there's a lot of sentimentality that that took place at, during that time, especially in France. I mean, one of the things I always think of is um <laughs> I, I've read uh, The Story of a Soul, The Life of um, uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. And to me, you know, on the surface, it sounds kind of fluffy and, you know, oh, wow, this is really sweet and a little bit saccharine. But then I think, oh, wait a minute, Alex, she's a saint and a doctor of the church, and you're not. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> so it's she's you. got something going on there. And it's, right? it's like, so maybe it's you, not her, that needs to kind of readjust things. <laughs> so um, so a yeah. lot of that comes out in his, you know, it's it's he is um, a man of his time. But as you said, also, I think he's proven that a lot of his work is timeless. So we're just going to kind of go through a couple of the things. But shall I go over a little bit of his life? Um, yeah, it'd be nice to get get a setting for where he is, because we know that definitely influences an artist. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so he was born in um, La Roche, uh, no, La Rochelle, France, and, on November 30th, 1825. And um, his family were, his family was uh, a family of uh, olive oil merchants. So they were kind of of the merchant class at that time. And um, his uncle Eugene was a priest. And so Bouguero was raised Catholic. Um, it seems like his family was a very devout Catholic family. He had this uncle who was a priest. And his, um, Priest, his uncle arranged for him to attend a lycée, which is like the roughly equivalent to a high school. And it was there that his um, talent, his natural talent as a painter really started to come through. And um, when he was around 21, he went to the École des Beaux-Arts, which is uh, fine arts, uh, the top fine arts um, college or university in Paris. And that is really saying something. That's nice. <laughs> yes, it is. I and tried to study abroad when I was in college, but just didn't fit this life schedule or family yeah. finances. <laughs> well, and do you know what? And the thing is, I mean, even today, the French academic system is so rigorous and it's set up to really um, 
kind of weed out the weak, shall we say. But this, but that doesn't, you know, I guess it has its pluses and minuses in that. But, um, you know, I think for him to get into this um, fine arts school, coming from where he came from, he had tremendous talent. And just keep this in mind about how difficult it was to be in these art schools um, as we go along with his life. So... <clears throat> He won in 1850, he won something called the, it was a prestigious prize called the Grand, uh, Grand Prix de Rome and with a painting called Zenobia found by the shepherds on the banks of Araxis. And here we're taking a look at that one and it's, you can really see his skill coming through and, uh, you know, so this was, this is his, this was his entry, um, piece. Can you imagine? And he did win this, which allowed him to study art in Rome, I think for about a year, but he stayed a lot longer. He ended up staying longer because he just was so capable and so talented. And, um, you said he was 21 when he painted this. Well, no, he would have been, um, let's see, 1850. So he was in his 20, he's 25. Still impressive. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very well, I had to do, yeah. I had to do quick math there. I'm impressed. It was good, a, yeah. Oh, thank you. It was just the fives and the tens, right? You can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, at least it wasn't like a seven and a nine. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I love his use of the primary colors. It's really yeah, nice. Yeah. And, nice. um, I, you know, and I wonder if people have, I'm sure people have seen this. You know, maybe people really... Um, you know, are interested in this time period and, and this type of painting, which is, which is called academic painting. And, and he is absolutely a master at this style of painting. I'm sure there are people who, if they haven't seen the, the picture in its entirety or the painting in its entirety, I'm sure they've seen sections of it. And that's the other thing to think about. Little, little sections that have been pulled from a lot of his artwork. And I bet if people look around their homes, if they look at mm-hmm. notebooks or um, church gift shops, they're going to find him everywhere. Coffee cups. <laughs> coffee cups. Yeah. Coffee cups, yeah. mouse pads, whatever, you know, <clears throat> but he was, he was really influenced by Raphael, who was a Renaissance painter, very famous. And um, people will, will have seen much of his work. And, um, so he was just, Bouguero was so talented with his, um, he was just technically such a talented artist and that has come through, uh, in pretty much all of his paintings, quite frankly, all of his paintings. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'm just looking through. So he, uh, he was displayed a lot at the Salon at the Ecole de uh, Beaux-Arts, which is where you would, as an artist, that's exactly where you would want your, your um, works to be displayed. You know, you could have, I think at one time, in 300,000 people had passed through the Salon. And obviously these are people who are interested in wow. purchasing art. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. So you just, he was really, he was a superstar. He was an absolute mm-hmm. superstar. Um, in fact, I love what this one reviewer said of him. I don't 
know the reviewer's name, but he says, Monsieur Bouguereau has a natural instinct and knowledge of contour. The arrhythmia of the human body preoccupies him, and in recalling the happy results which in this genre, the ancients and the artists of the 16th century arrived at, one can only congratulate Monsieur Bouguereau in attempting to follow in their footsteps. Raphael was inspired by the ancients, and no one accused him of being of not being original. Mm. So he was, um, he was lauded. Uh, he, again, he was financially very successful, although I think he did acquire a little bit of debt who wouldn't living in Italy <laughs> as an artist, but he was, it enabled him. His, he was so successful. He could pay off all of his debt. He bought a beautiful home. He, um, he married his one of his models, Marie Nelly Bucaro, and they had five children. Um, and she was his main model. So as we go through, we're going to see a lot of his paintings and you're going to see one particular face. And I don't know if she was actually as beautiful as she's depicted in his paintings as the Blessed Mother, but um, she probably was. And But also you can tell that those paintings she was painted with some, by someone who really loved her. You really, that really <laughs> comes out in, in his paintings as well. The love he has for, um, the subject matter, actually. Mm-hmm. He, I think he was a very joyful person. Um, so he became a lifetime member of the Academy in 19, in 1876. He received the Legion of Honor and the Grand Medal of Honor in 1885. Um, and in 1875, he began teaching drawing at the Academy Julian, and that was um, a co-ed art school, which required no entrance exams, and it had a nominal fee. Now, this is what I was talking about when I wanted to emphasize the rigor and the difficulty of getting into a lot of these schools, especially art schools. At this time, women were not admitted to any of the art schools, and he really, um, and then the the Academy started admitting women in 1880 and he had a lot to do with that. He really wanted women to have access to the art world and as, as painters um, and to be able to make a living as a paint as painters and artists. So that was really, really radical. And he taught over 400 women to draw mm-hmm. and to paint. Yeah. Okay, at a time. I got to do a little tie in here because I didn't even think about this until you were saying it. Okay. The first thing I thought of was Amy and Little Women. Okay. You they have had to... sent oh, her yeah. off to go to art school in yes. France. Oh, God. And it's about the same time period. I'm like, okay, that makes me reimagine that story even better because now exactly. I can picture her with all these other ladies yeah. in the art school with Bouguereau. Yes, <laughs> being taught by Bouguereau. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, now I want to read Little Women again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or you could watch it. <laughs> well, I could watch it. That'd be easier. That yeah. would be, yeah, and it could be kind of taken away by that. But, but yeah, so he was a really interesting man. Um, very, very, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say forward thinking, but as we go through a lot of his art and we think about him and he was obviously raised a Catholic, I couldn't find any information to really indicate, oh, well, how, how devout a Catholic was he? Well, sometimes I think you can look at people show their devotion and their faith in different ways. You can tell people, you can go to mass, you can pray and all these things, or you can write, but you can also paint. 
Yeah. And I think what and he like does. like all of us, we struggle. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I've, I've seen it written up that he had actually been living with his, his first wife before they were married. Yeah. Yeah. And then everybody just assumed they were, so they secretly got married. Yes, very discreetly. Not to throw off anybody. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, gosh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just don't know. And, um, but I think a lot of times, and I I keep wondering, like, as he's painting um, this woman who would soon, who should have been his wife and then eventually did become his wife, you can really see the love he has for them and for her, but also. What uh, what strikes me about all of their, um, a, a lot of his paintings, well, I would say all of his paintings, even though the, I find it a bit sentimental, the dignity of the subject is always yes. there. It's always there. And, um, and I think that might be one of the reasons he's so appealing to people, even today. And interestingly, and we can get into this, um, my little conspiracy or whatever. I wonder if one of the reasons he was really dismissed once the Impressionists started started gaining ground is because um, of the dignity that he portrayed in his subject matters, in the subject matter, as opposed to what was being presented by um, a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? That sounds about right. Actually, I think I read somewhere that one of his students actually rebelled against him. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Who was his student? Oh, what? Matisse. 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 Yeah. So it's just hard to believe that 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 student teacher relationship right there ended up being so far apart in imagery and subject. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and worldview. Yeah. I think. Yeah. You know, and um, so sadly, his first wife died in 1877 and um, he eventually married another, he he married one of his students, um, Elizabeth Gardner Bougaro, and here she is. We have a lovely portrait of her painted by her husband and then we have her, um, a photograph of her and she's quite a handsome woman, I think. Yeah, but yeah, I think the portrait is painted 19 years after the photograph was taken. Oh, wow. That I didn't know. See, yes, 1879. It's, it's fascinating knowing that because then you can see her youthful face and then how how she matured. We all all women exactly. know we have a more mature face. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you know, and but also look at the tenderness in her eyes. The way mm-hmm. she's looking at him as she's as he's painting her, you know, it, I think they probably did have, I know they had a long engagement. <laughs> yes, there's a, there a little something to do with his mother. Yes, him promise. I don't think she cared much for for his uh, new choice of a spouse. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe any spouse at all. You know, who knows? Yes, but um, yeah, it he waited 19 years. Before, so his, so basically, I guess we should tell our listeners this. His mother said, "Do not marry anybody else." After his first wife died, and while she was still alive, that was her request, and so he acquiesced. And I think specifically, <clears throat> don't marry not that to marry woman, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, yes. Don't marry that woman while I'm alive. Can you imagine? <laughs> He was a good son, though. He did listen to his mother. He did. He waited, and, and, and you know what? 
Elizabeth waited 19 years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So bless her heart. So she, um, she, uh, they got married. She was one of his, um, students. And I think, do we have one of her, um, <clears throat> one yes. of her paintings? Yes. So this was one of Elizabeth's, uh, paintings and you can see again, there is something you can, you can see the style of the academic, um, style of painting. It's, mm -hmm. it's very realistic. It's not hyper-realistic. I think some people look at hyper-realistic, um, paintings yeah. and that that's very, very different, but these are, you know, there's, there's soft undertones to it. A lot of times, um, there are biblical or mythical subjects. And this is a really powerful image of David. And he's got uh, his knee on a lion who has been defeated. And he's holding a lamb looking up to God and he's got his arm raised up. And it's a really beautiful kind of allegorical painting. And what's interesting about this is he, a lot of his paintings are or a lot of academic paintings are allegorical, but then they also look real at the same time. So it's almost like, um, it's almost like a, a really good C, you know, when you see something, that's really good CGI and you kind of get lost in it. I think you yes. can get a little bit lost in this. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of I abstraction. Mean, the depth she painted in the background behind him yeah. really draws you in. You have the mountains, First, they're dark and shadowy right behind David, and then you kind of see the, the farther ridge with a little bit of almost sun on it. Yeah. And I've always loved doing wildlife work, so I am very impressed with the quality of detail that she put into the lion head. Yeah. And it probably was, you know, she must have had a lion skin rug somewhere close by to get that much great detail. Yes, I can't imagine that you just had... Um you know, just somebody's pet lion <laughs> lounging <Right>. around. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's. And I have to say just one quick flashback. Mm -hmm. Look closely at David's face. Yeah. And uh, then look at her face. That's exactly what I was going to say. Isn't that funny how we both kind of picked up on it at the same time? Yes. Well, I, I'm guilty of it myself in my work because you need yeah. to get a right angle, a right shadow. You look at yourself in a mirror sometimes. Yeah. Well, and also it's, I think it's weird how you, you kind of do it subconsciously. You end up painting mm -hmm. yourself into the painting. Da Vinci did that. If you look at Da Vinci's mm -hmm. paintings and then you look at some of his portraits of other people, you think you've just painted yourself. Yeah. <laughs> There's a you great... You gotta have a reference. You don't always have you a model do. handy. Well, I, I just, this is just a quick aside. I, there's a, a portrait of a merchant. I think he's a merchant painted by Hans Holbein. And it, in the background of this painting, of course, it's gorgeous. You know, it's Hans Holbein. And, but there's a little um, note stuck on the wall behind the merchant with probably beeswax or something. Cause they didn't have um, blue tack or tape back then, but on no the post-it notes, no post-it notes, <laughs> but on, on this note, it says, this is exactly how he looks. <laughs> so Hans Holbein <laughs> Just to was make like, it clear to everyone. This is, I did it. This is how he looks. So, um, yeah. So that if anybody ever finds that or, 
looks at that particular painting. It's by Hans Holbein, and it is a merchant standing in front of his desk <laughs> and everything in the background. This is how he really nice. looks. Yeah. But anyway, as opposed to Hans Holbein himself. So, mm-hmm. um, so going back to Bukharo, uh, he died around age 79 or 80, but he was an incredibly prolific painter. He painted over 800 paintings in his lifetime, which when you consider how young he was when he started and how old he was when he died, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. He worked feverishly. I mean, six days a week. And sometimes I read he was producing um, 20 plus portraits a year. No, it's got to be more than that. Wow. I, it was, it well, was it something, you know, he had those other 800 works too. Yeah. And wow. a lot of his works were, you know, they were commissioned by private, um, patrons. So some of them were stolen, not, you know, so a lot of his work is, is missing. And every once in a while, one of it comes up. He was a very, um, he had clients in the United States, in Britain and in France. So, you know, uh, maybe take a look at some of these auction houses and antique shops, or maybe in your cellar. You never know. There are 820 20 plus uh, paintings by him. So, and they're still finding them every once in a while. Wow. But yeah, so he had a lot of um, private commissions, as I said. So people like to have his work in their homes. Um, he did commissions for churches. Uh, he did religious pieces. So he was, he was really well loved internationally and he had just a broad spectrum of people who, who purchased their, purchased his paintings. And, um, I just wanted to find one of his quotes because I thought, uh, oh no, I can't find it. It was so lovely. It was his quote about his paintings that I had told you about. And now I feel badly because I can't find it. No, I think I found it. You found it. Do you want to read it? Because I think you can read it as an artist because you probably feel the same way. So why don't you read it? All right. So he said, each day I go to my studio full of joy. In the evening, when obliged to stop because of darkness, I can scarcely wait for the next morning to come. If I cannot give myself to my dear painting, I am miserable. Exactly been there sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And do you know what? It's, it's, um, what a joy. Can you imagine living all these years? I mean, he did have sorrow in his life. Of course he did. Mm-hmm. He, in fact, he outlived four of his five children and his first wife. Yeah. You know, he did experience a lot of sorrow, but to have that kind of joy accompanied with it mm-hmm. and to be able to produce so much artwork that has made such an impact on so many lives. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, we need to, we need to jump into a gallery here. We do. We do. Okay. Here we go. So, <clears throat> um, so these are called charity and these are two pieces. And um, I should say this as well. His pieces are not small, diminutive pieces of art. They are, they are quite imposing. And one of the things he does really beautifully is he brings you into the conversation. He brings you into the story. So you can get up close to his paintings and you don't lose any of the detail if you want to do that. Nice. And yeah, um, yeah. so... Why don't you talk a little bit about the one on the left, uh, Charity, and I'll talk a little bit about the one on the right, because I, um, 
I have kind of. You actually get to see that one, don't you? Yes, yeah. yes. So you talk <laughs> nice. about, what, what are some of the things that, that strike you about this one? Um, so what I found interesting about this first one, Charity, very idealized. Mm. You have all these lovely little babies crawling all over this woman who's representing Charity. She has a pot of coins that she's spilling beneath her feet. What I found fascinating in this one is no one is really looking at you except for one small child huddled at her feet. Mm. It's the only one looking out at you. Yeah. And then just an odd reference here because the woman's shirt is open to cradle all these little children against her breast. Mm-hmm. It made me remember the complete charity of my grandmother when she had had my dad. It was at a time when you'd have women giving birth and other babies were needing to be fed. Mm. And my grandmother was asked by the nurse, would you be willing to feed other children whose mothers are unable to feed them? Yeah. Wow. She didn't feed them directly, but they just kind of, you know, asked her to express some, some food for the babies because they didn't have necessarily formula laying around the hospitals back then. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of made me think about, wow, that's, you know, an incredible act of charity is, Taking care of someone else's child. Exactly. Yeah, I had a friend who had to go in for um, emergency surgery, and she wasn't able to nurse her baby, but her sister did for her until she recovered, which I just thought was the most beautiful thing. Yeah, charity. And... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you can see all of these, yeah, all of these little children, and they, they kind of look like they're well-fed, <laughs> yes. nice and chunky, like you want them. They are chunky babies. Yeah, <laughs> but also I, I'm looking at the, the little one who is looking out directly at the viewer of this painting, mm-hmm. kind of like saying, well, where is your charity? You know, it's a yeah. little subtle invitation to to really think about being charitable yourself. And of course as you would see something like this in the gallery, that those coins spilling out would have been probably at um, just high enough where your hand, you know, where you could put your hands near it. You know, it, it's, it's really mm-hmm. the way, the way, the way it's framed and the way it's, um, it's presented. So he's really, you're looking up at her and, mm-hmm. um, and you're looking and this little child is looking directly at you. It would have probably the child would have been eye level. So it's a, What's fascinating is the child on the other side of the woman's feet is actually laying on a stack of books and has his hand on a piece of paper. So yeah. you think about the charity and handing on knowledge. Yeah. That's, that's a big responsibility for us as adults is handing on knowledge to the next generation. Exactly. And it is an act of charity. It's a sacrifice. It is. It is. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the second one is also called charity, but it's a little more uncomfortable, I think, for the viewer. The colors are a lot darker. You've got grays and browns and, um, and charity is in the shadow. It's interestingly, it's the same model, his wife, Marinelli. And, um, I always wonder, and it looks like probably some of the same children, especially a little curly brown, um, dark haired boy. He's a little older in this other one. And, um, but this is a woman who's sitting on the steps of a very famous church in Paris, begging for, for her family. Now, this particular portrait painting is in the 
Birmingham Music Art Gallery in Birmingham, England, and I have seen this in person. And I will tell you, this is quite an imposing painting. It's big. The scale of it, the uh, the the subjects in the painting are almost life size. They're just scaled a little bit mm. smaller than than we are, and so. And the way that it's hung in the gallery, it's kind of low. You can go right up to it. And and it really is moving because along with looking like a very tired, um, hungry, homeless woman. And of course, this is, you know, you see this getting in order to get to the museum, you walk past multiple multiple homeless people in, in Birmingham. There's just mm. it's a real tragedy. So in order to even get to the museum, you kind of have in your head what you saw before you got there. You get in and then you're confronted with this image. And um, and it is a little disturbing and it's beautiful at the same time, but it's another, it's not, how do I say it? It really pushes the boundaries of the viewer to really mm-hmm. think about it. And of course, as I said, what Bouguereau does beautifully in all of his paintings is he maintains the dignity of the subject matter. And I would yes. say when you maintain the dignity of the of the subject that you're painting, you also call on the dignity of the viewer of your art. And I think that's really important. And not all artists do that, but he does. And he absolutely does it with this image. Um, and this must have been a difficult image for him to look at a few years later. Yeah. Because this was painted in 1865. Yeah. And by 1866, he had lost one of his children. Yeah. At least one, maybe T- two. Yeah, to tuberculosis. I think, yeah, yeah. a baby, I think. I think he, it was very sad. Yeah, very there was sad. a young baby that had died. And yeah, I think the son who's probably in this had died when he was 15. So yeah. it probably would have been a very hard thing to look at for him later in life. Yeah. I think I wonder yeah. why, if he still, even though he did experience all of this tragedy, he still managed to paint so beautifully and with such joy. And I think I'm going to mm-hmm. just put it out there. I really think that's an indication of his faith. Oh, yeah. Yes. Next one. Why don't you talk about this one? Because I think you you had some interesting insights on this one and uh, well, this one I know I have seen many, many times uh-huh. and seen it mostly without his signature at the bottom of it, because it usually shows up when you get little um, invitations to give to different, um, uh, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Memorial services. Yeah, memorial services. If you mm-hmm. want to give like a holy card for someone who's passed away, this one shows up quite often. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I mean, I have always been fascinated with getting that atmospheric fade, that sense of fog. Mm. I remember trying to do it a couple of times when I was younger, painting, just wanting to be able to accomplish it and just not being able to get it just right. Yeah. But this one just kind of impresses me. You have you have that fog that it really puts a hush over the whole piece. And then the incredible talent that he had to pa- paint the wisp of the mother's veil over her face. Yeah. Just impressive. 
Yeah. We should say this one is called All Souls Day. All Souls Day. Yeah. Yeah. And there are two women dressed in black and they're putting wreaths on on the grave of, I would assume, a father and a husband. Uh, it could They could be two sisters. You just never know. But again, yeah. look at the, um, just the dignity of, of these two women. You know, they're sorrowful. They're experienced a loss, but they still maintain their dignity, their humanity, and, and mm-hmm. they really command respect, quite frankly. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I think it's because of that dignity that is what makes it so successful Yeah, as a holy card for someone who has, you know, recently lost someone or on a mass card, because it gives you that sense of there is prayer, there is something more, and there's peace. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So next. The next one. And this is interesting because, so this one is called the Marys at the Tomb. I think that one, or Holy Women at the Tomb. I think they're all called I've actually seen it have three different titles. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Which ones have you seen? So I've had I've Mar- the Marys at the Tomb. I've Hol- seen the Marys at the Tomb. Holy yep. Women at the Tomb. Yep. And then the Holy Sepulchre or the Women of the Holy Sepulchre. Okay. The Women at the Holy Sepulchre. Yeah, exactly. So who knows? And Just all different translations of the same French title. I was going to say, it's probably, yeah, it's probably all translated <laughs> into these different ways. <laughs> and um, and this one, and if you, if we ha- if you're looking at this, um, We've just moved from morning to Easter morning, and mm-hmm. and the way the the um, the models are standing and the way they're positioned in this really are reminiscent of the first one. I don't know when they were um, how close together. Well, they were actually painted a number of years apart. One was in eighteen fifty nine, and one is in eighteen ninety. But it's mm-hmm. interesting. He he kind of works with he go he keeps with the stuff that works. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. And and so the way they're looking, their gestures are very reminiscent of of the earlier work, and also the colors. I think the color palette in this is so beautiful. Um, the darkness of the clothing of the women, and then you can look in and see the angel in the tomb and it's incredible and also the way he's painted it again for the viewer it's almost like the the way you're looking you are part of what's happening as well so he mm-hmm. really draws you in he he's i think he's just a, a master at doing that yeah and this is such a classic image that comes up at easter time actually yeah. searching this image um, it came up all across so many different church bulletins and um, little church newsletters and happy Easter. The tomb is empty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. He's he's like the go-to artist. He's so appealing mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. And I couldn't resist doing the zoom in to actually see the angel inside because I mean, the whole image, the, the way the woman's elbow is bent to just point you and drag you right into yeah. seeing this tomb completely white with light is fascinating. It is. It is. It really is. And, you know, they've got the wash basin because they're going in. They were thinking they were going to go wash the body. So they're mm-hmm. prepared for something else. And, and they, they got quite a surprise. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
lovely image though yeah oh one of my favorites yeah so this one is called innocence and i know people have seen this one i mean this is the one i think even if you're kind of going through going i've never seen that one i've never seen that one the minute you see innocence you go i have seen that one Uh (laughs) you know and it's It's lovely. She looks very, you know, actually what this reminds me of, especially with her bare feet. Do you remember this scene in um, the Fellowship of the Rings when Galadriel is walking down to her mirror uh, with Frodo? And if you look and they show her feet and I just think, I think Peter Jackson was looking at this. Because he had to have been. Yeah. Had to have been. I watched an interview with him where he talked about... um, the after effect lighting that they would do, especially on the elves and Glandriel in particular. Yeah. And he says, we need her to have this ethereal glow, like she's beyond everything. And that's exactly what this image has. And yeah. I, I would probably say that this is the number one Bougereau image that goes to new moms. <laughs> Really? Okay. Put it up in the nursery. This just looks like the perfect, yes, gift to a new mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, it's, it really is um, extraordinary, his talent. And, and, and of course this is symbolic as well. You know, it's not, you know, you wouldn't, I don't know of too many lambs who would tolerate being carried around like that, but, <laughs> you know, um, or babies for that matter with the lamb. Uh, but um although that lamb looks awfully fluffy (laughs) he does and he looks awfully young as well sweet little thing and in the lovely little little baby and i always think gosh these models how are they holding these these uh (laughs) these living uh you know babies and lambs and everything like that and and looking so peaceful about it you know that's where Mm -hmm. that's where it's it that's where the artist comes in, his skills and yes. stuff, because, you know, it wasn't happening that way. And yeah. I don't think this model is his wife. I think this is a different model. Um, she looks very different from his wife, but uh, it is yeah. a beautiful, beautiful image. And and as I said, I really think that this was inspired uh, Galadriel's, not only her um, her dress, but just maybe everything about her. Uh, in mm-hmm. in the films it just looks a yeah there's probably some kind of even yeah. if it's a reference maybe it might not even be a conscience conscious reference to this painting but because his images are so ubiquitous around the world they probably were picking up on it and didn't even realize it yeah and it's interesting knowing that he had opened up his instruction to women to paint it actually gives me a better understanding of his style because I feel like it is more approachable and easily accessible for a lot of women mm. because it hits on a lot of feelings of motherhood yeah, in such a deep, profound way. Yeah. I mean, not, not every woman, but I do. I just, this one, I really appreciate. Um, my mom has it up in her house just a small little one. Yeah. But it's just kind of in a nice spot where everyone comes down the stairs in the morning for breakfast. And this is the first thing you see. And it kind of just is that morning calm. Oh, new day. Yeah. Everything's yeah. good. Stay with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. And and I think to, to, to kind of expand on that a little bit with, um, 
you know, opening up his, his school for women to become artists. And he had, and he really, you know, when you read a lot about them, the stuff I was reading, like, oh, he was really obsessed with, with, um, the female form and he painted women all the time. Well, that's okay. He did it in a really dignified way. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. that's actually, I'd rather have someone painting women in a dignified way constantly <laughs> than the other way around. You yes. Know, then distorting them. Distorting <laughs> them. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. So, okay. So this one, we're moving on to another painting by him and this is called the Virgin with angels. And again, I think this is one that people have either seen the in, seen this image or this painting in its entirety, or they've seen little sections of it. Um, and this is the blessed mother holding the Christ child and her halo is like perfect stars around her. They're literal stars, not like just bits of light, but stars and all of these angels. And I kind of think the angel's face is all the same person. What do you think? It seems very, very similar. Yeah. Sisters? No. Yeah, it was a lot of sisters. Or do you know what? But hey, if you've got like... Or as I had one professor tell me, there is the the classical every woman face. Yeah. And it was an obsession of his to be able to paint and sculpt the every woman face. Okay. Because he was like, yeah, trying to just figure out what are those dimensions? How do you get the every woman face? Yeah. So I thought that was quite fascinating. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe you should just have him look at this painting. and There yeah. you go. I'm sure he was looking at type paintings like this because it was an obsession of his to get that classical every woman face. Yeah, yeah. Well, looking at, so of course, this, the, the main face in the in the middle that we're looking at is um, the Blessed Mother, and it looks like that probably is Marie Nelly. What I think is interesting is, in a weird way, this is kind of an iconographic painting. So the angels are forming like a mandorla around yes. the Blessed Mother, and then her clothing, looking at the colors, she's got the blue and the red, but the way the drapery draping is, it's very iconographic. What do you think? Oh, I was, it's funny, just before you said that, I was thinking this is the perfect example of copying with understanding that we've heard in class. Yeah. That that's what our goal is to do is not to completely change the rules and um, imagery of the past, but to copy with understanding. And I feel like he did that with this painting. Yes. Bringing in that old style. I would yeah. agree. And, and also, um, and the reason, one of the reasons you do that is so that people can feel connected to it and it makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're making something and, and people don't understand the symbolism or, or, or the imagery it's lost. And I think that is something, um, I was listening to a podcast today about the problem of that, de- destroying and removing things and, and not replacing it, so much is lost, very quickly lost. And, oh, yeah, and so definitely. Someone like Bouguereau is um, really preserving that in, in his own way. Mm-hmm. I found it amazing, and I purposely zoomed in on Mary and Christ because uh-huh. that's a section that gets zoomed in on a lot. But yes. the fact that he was able to make Christ look so innocent as a very 
you know, young toddler and yet have eyes with such deep understanding. Yeah. Yeah. That you know he's not just a baby. Exactly. But there's more there. And you know what? Sorry, go ahead. You go ahead and finish what you Oh, no, no. Well, what I was going to say is looking at that, you can almost look at him. Obviously, he's blessing. He's raising his hand in blessing. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like a shadow of the crucifixion. The way his feet mm-hmm. are folded one in front of the other and um, and his hands raised. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then another small little image that I zoomed in on was um, one of the angels in front with the incense, because I just have to say, holy smokes, <laughs> this guy knows how to do soft, wispy stuff. So he well. does. And clouds. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, he was he was yeah. a technical genius. I keep saying it over and over again. Yeah, I wish I could learn from him. <laughs> yeah, well, you never know. Is do you know what? There know. are a lot there, of people. Is there another one like him out there? Do you know what's interesting? There are <laughs> now schools. He was rediscovered in the eighties. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of his paintings. I mean, I really didn't go into this, but you know, his. I think Boston, um, the Boston Museum of Art has a couple of his, at least one. And I know for a long time it was down in a basement in storage. And if you wanted to see it, you had to request to go look at it. Wow. And yeah, so a lot of his stuff was just hidden away. So um, yeah, do some hunting. People should do a little bit of sleuthing and, and see if you can find the Bougaros in your local museums and let us know if you do find them. <laughs> We'd yeah, love to really see them. Share them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is a classic as well. I know people have seen mm-hmm. this is Song of the Angels. And again, it looks like the there is one model for the angel, I'm telling you which is fine. Yes. There really yeah. was. It's kind of cool. And um, again, you know, same baby and same mm-hmm. model. Beautiful, beautiful picture. And he carried on with the red and blue on Mary. Yeah. Yeah, he did. They look it's like- so funny. I know I have seen this image used a lot as um, Recruitment for choirs for churches. Oh, really? Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Or as gifts to students that are musicians. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I've seen this on, um, I've seen this image on Christmas cards, I think. Lots Ah, of Christmas cards. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. 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 But again, yeah, his details are fabulous. I made sure to zoom in on um, both Mary and the child and then uh, the one angel who's playing the uh, violin yeah yeah and she does it so technically you could probably i'm sure there's someone out there that could tell me exactly what note she's playing yes exactly (laughs) and and i have to say she is holding the bow correctly that's right because you played cello i did i did i didn't i don't think i i would have i would have loved to have worn like robes and stuff but no that was not quite. Oh, what you I weren't got dressed like that when you played. No, no. oddly enough, I didn't oh. have my wings. But um, oh. yeah, it's. I was going to say something else about the. Oh, another thing that he was really a master at was, um, or a master of, was painting hands and feet. Yes, I don't oh, know yeah. how many people. I don't know if people realize hands and feet are really challenging. <laughs> and I'm going to do a bad mom joke. Hands down. He was the best. He was. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah. Oh my gosh. 
I, I was really bad. Oh, I'm going to get it for that one. There you go. There you go. But I wish I could come up with one, but one day. Okay. So here we go. A couple of more. So this one on the left is called um, uh, Our Lady of the Lily. And then on the right is Our Lady of the Roses. But Our Lady of the Lilies, I think, is, again, something um, people will have seen. The Christ child is in the same, a very similar position, actually the exact same pose as he was in um, The Virgin with Angels. Mm-hmm. And with his hands raised, same baby, uh, same model. Her, um, the Blessed Mother's uh, cloak, however, is so dark. I don't know if it's, it probably is blue or maybe a really dark purple velvet. I'm not quite sure. I wouldn't say yeah, that like it's a, black. but An it, indigo velvet, yeah. Yeah, with gold trim and you can see the red underneath, which really... Um, but this dark color really highlights the Christ child. And she's on the seat of wisdom, of course, Our Lady's seat of wisdom, mm-hmm. meaning she's the seat and he's the wisdom. <laughs> and she's sitting mm-hmm. on the seat as well. And um, beautiful, almost three-dimensional halos of gilded, gilded halos behind them mm-hmm. in this one. And I, I have to say yeah. between the two of these, I really like... I really prefer Our Lady of the Lilies, but I think it's because I like all the rich colors in it. The other one looks a bit faded and soft to me, which is, again, going into why, uh, you know, not my thing. But anyway. (laughs) So looking at the dates Mm -hmm. for the Virgin with Angels and the Madonna of Lilies, the Madonna of of the Lilies was painted a year before the Virgin Uh, with Angels. you're right. This could almost have been his study piece in preparation for that. You're right. Yeah. And I'm just it looking. He started off like that and then he added to it. Because you can see the background is probably one of the least developed. Which one? Our Lady of the Lilies? In the Lilies. Yeah. 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 Lots of color, It's almost though. like, yeah. Lots of color, but it's just kind of like, it's not. It's not fully developed like most of his backgrounds. No, that's true. So I feel that's like true. this might have been like a study piece. Maybe. And then worked up a little more when yes. someone wanted it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, some of these were in churches. And actually, given the the time of, and of you know, the era that he lived in and at that time, I know that now the French government owns all of the Catholic churches in France, which in some ways you go, Oh my gosh, that's terrible. But that's one of the reasons why they're so well maintained because <laughs> they have like endless funds, but any of his images that are, they're probably still going to be in churches as opposed to in museums because the churches were closed or sold or, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so you yeah. might still see those things in the churches. And, um, but Our Lady, what I think is interesting is Our Lady of the, or Madonna of the Roses, that was done in 1903. And I think that's the same child Jesus. 
I was just going to say that, <laughs> just looking at the time change going, mm, yeah, I think that kid's grown up now. Exactly. And I he's, love the way. He's probably going, I'm getting too big for this. Exactly. <laughs> but also I love the way uh, the blessed mother has her fingers linked in the front. You know, it's holding a three-year-old mm-hmm. is a lot different from holding a, a one-year-old. <laughs> one-year-old. And to hold. yet she does it so effortlessly. Look I at her know, perfect face. I know. I know. Just, and also her, her, um, her shawl in that one almost looks like those looks like those angel wings in um, mm-hmm. the Virgin and the Angels. So he really yeah. he I think one of the reasons he's so good at what he does is he practices over and over again. He he has honed his skills over yeah. the decades, and you can tell yeah. he doesn't really deviate. He doesn't try to do anything. New. I mean he he does do a lot of innovation. But he keeps to the he keeps to the style in which he's trained. I mean, I know my work does not compare to this, mm. but I have had the opportunity to embroider what's roughly the same image three times now. Yeah, yeah. And so you kind of get that understanding of like it's just everything starts to fine tune, of course, and come into place a little easier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this one, this we're going we really changed um oh, yeah. directions. So this is called um The Flagellation of Christ and it was painted in 1880. And it is such a powerful image in so many ways. There's so much going on here. Um I'm going to talk a little bit about uh the man on the left. And then I'm going to let you kind of go into some details if that's okay, Catherine. Yeah. But um this image, it's uh, obviously Christ is tied to a pillar and he's being um, whipped. And one of the men who's whipping him, his um, just his his posture is beautiful. The way he's he's just captured the proportions of this man's body, the muscles, the shadows everything. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And you can actually, he, the way the whip is flying behind him, you can just see that it's going to come down and, um, and hit Christ who is, who is still has that glow about him, that holy, that divine light is still there in all of that darkness. Um, so, and I'm just going to say this is if you look just behind the man, in the foreground, who's who's raising his arm to uh, beat Christ? If you see, there's a there are three people in the background. There's an older man, a woman with a white um, veil, and she has her arm around a little boy who's turned away. And I I don't mm-hmm. think this is who it's supposed to be at all, but. What it makes me think of is St. Joseph, the Blessed Mother, and St. John the Evangelist. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't, I know that's not who they're supposed to be, yeah. but in my mind, that's who, who comes up. So, yeah, probably because that model looks a lot like the one that he used for Mary. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I found it fascinating. You talked about Christ just glowing in his purity in this. Mm. There's not a stripe on him. No. But you can tell he's in agony already. Yeah. And the only other thing that's really glowing in this are the whips. Yeah. Yeah. And it made me think, yeah, by his stripes, we are healed. Exactly. 
Exactly. So I was like, wow. But then for me, the other thing that really stood out, I have a close up of the man who's on the other side with yeah. the whip. And both men, I mean, one, his face is covered by his arm. And the other, his face is almost covered in shadow. Yeah. So you kind of can see there's like a concealment there. And just behind the man on the other side who has his arm up across his face, there's a man behind him who, even though he's holding tools to whip with, because there's a guy down in front who's binding together reeds to hit Christ with. Yeah. His arms are so hard flexed and he's turning his face away so hard. Yeah. You can feel the tension. Yeah. Yeah. And then what really kind of caught me was the older man behind him is grabbing a young child, probably three years old, and making the child watch. Yes. I saw that. And it's yeah. the way that he's grabbing the child around the wrist and turning the child's elbow toward Christ. It's in a, it's in a way of like, you know, you got to watch this yeah. as if don't go down this road. Yeah. But he doesn't realize that that child is witnessing the, you know, the savior of the world. Exactly. And it's a real, it's a really violent and again, a violent, disturbing image, but one that still maintains the dignity of the human mm-hmm. person. And one of the, 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 um, one man who's down on his knees, who's, who's binding the whips, um, or I guess, uh, what would you, but yeah, I guess it would be some other reeds. kind of reeds or the something. Reeds. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And, um, everything is pointing towards Christ, his elbow, the way his, you know, everything is forcing you to watch this, mm-hmm. this scene. And it's a difficult scene to watch. It's a difficult scene for the the people in the scene to watch and um yeah it's 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 really really powerful really powerful and he's he's yeah, captured I had first came across this image when i was trying to learn how to pray the rosary in latin oh, okay and there's a youtube video that puts up images for each one of the mysteries okay and then has the latin and english subtitles and when this popped up i was like wow I had to stop praying and just look at the image for a while. <laughs> yeah. Partly because I was surprised at the post or the column and ring that's holding Christ. Because literally months before, I was working on a sketch of Christ just after this. So it's the point um, in Christ's Passion where they say that they gave it's in mark they gave him his own so after he was whipped they gave him his own in other words his clothes back to him yeah and i was working on a sketch of that and i actually had behind christ the post and ring that he was just tied you know set yeah. free from yeah and i was like i i didn't think i had seen that image before but i was like had I seen it once before yeah, in the past just, and just didn't remember? It's like, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, like I said, I think even in this, he's in the subconscious, I think, of a lot of Catholics. Yeah. 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 We just didn't know he was there. So. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But yeah. Incredible image. Oops, let's get the next one. So another powerful, incredible image. This is a Pieta. <clears throat> so this is um, Christ being taken down from the cross and being laid in his mother's lap. And it 
is again something that I think many, many people have seen this image. It's, it's, it's powerful. I think what mm-hmm. strikes me about this one is the look of the Blessed Mother. The look on her face is the, a look of a mother who has lost a child. And we know that she lost a child. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think, well, yeah, and then she would have died. She, uh, Marie Nelly would be dead a year later after seeing, after modeling this. And, um, it's incredible having, knowing that background, that personal background makes it all the more powerful. But again, Christ still has that divine light, even in his lifeless body. Um, the angels. Now this is, this and the last image are the ones that where I can kind of lose the timeline of when he was painting because it has that Baroque feel. Yeah. 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 I think it's the shadows, the, the, the shadows yeah. and the, um, and oh gosh, what is that word? We chased some poor man down in one of the manor <laughs> or at the museum. Chiaroscuro. That's there it. you go. Yes. Oh, you said it just like you did. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that dark, smoky, beautiful blending of of uh, the dark and light, and yeah. especially around his legs and his thigh, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. He's almost melting into his mother, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And then this makes me think back to the um, the second charity image. Mm. There's that same similar expression and pose. Even the first charity image, because when she had the uh, the gold container of coins spill out, you know, we have this um, golden urn and bowl that would be signifying washing Christ to prepare him for burial Yeah, at her feet. So you can kind of get a connection back to that. Um, I also really zoomed in on that the urn and the bowl and Christ's crown of thorns. Yeah. Not only because Christ's hand is paint, pointing toward it. Yes. But it made me think forward to now when we watch priests um, purify the vessels at mass. Yeah. You really get that, that pointing forward to, you know, this sacrifice that we are still allowed to be part of at mass. Yeah. And it also makes me think of, the opening of the tomb, you know, the, the women, uh, the holy women at the tomb where they're bringing that, that wash basin in. Oh yeah. Expect- so it's like the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it probably is. All the models are the same. And all the- <laughs> yeah. 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 So. But yeah. It's so, so beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one I could stare at for hours. <laughs> I know it is. It is quite meditative. And, and like I said, it's, it's, I really appreciate his art. I really, really do. And I think, um, you know, time is kind of flying by here and I wanted to, if we could just talk about, oh, what's this? This is Wait, a little... we have to talk about one more little piece. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> when I was searching our images to put up, I came across this one and I was like, oh, I have to put this in for the title. Uh-huh. So it's like, okay, we live on either side of the great pond here. That's true. So we don't get to, we've seen each other twice since we've met. Twice in 3D. But, <laughs> twice in 3D, that's right. But I thought, oh, if we were little kids growing up, this would be you and me 
And you have to picture you, the little girl with the blue, light blue dress on, yeah. looking at me saying, really? <laughs> because the title of this piece is called Fishing for Frogs. Oh, my gosh. None of you know it, but Alex hates frogs. <laughs> I don't hate frogs. I just okay, want them to... Okay, you don't want to squish one. <laughs> I, yes, I would, I would not be in that painting, to be quite honest. No, I, there'd yes. be nowhere near that that pond if I knew there were frogs in it. <laughs> so I had to have a little fun there. Oh, that's so. very cute. Oh, that's so funny. But yeah, but I have to say, actually, the two of us, we'd probably be in shorts and t-shirts and, and running around because we were both... Catherine and I are both tomboys. So, tomboys, and, yes. And still yes. are, still are. But uh, that was very cute. So he did, yes, we didn't even touch on, on his, um, his, uh, I guess what you call secular art, mundane art. We were mm-hmm. really looking at all of his religious stuff. And he doesn't really fall strictly in the category of a s- sacred artist, um, for kind of the reasons of when we talk about, oh, he's over sentimental or whatever, or it's the academic style. But I think it's worth having a discussion about him because he really is clearly, he really has made an impact on people. One of the, um, I would say, requirements of uh, sacred art is that it stands the st- the, withstands the test of time. And he has. He yes. really has. And so. And a broad impact across. Yes. Many countries. Yeah. Yes. And, and he is some, he, he's withstood the, the test of time and he is very accessible to people. Mm-hmm. And that is something else that needs that, that sacred art should be something that's universal. People feel it's approachable. And, um, the reason he was, he was kind of disappeared is because the, um, attitude in the art world in places like Paris, um, in the larger cities, they, they wanted it to, the secular art to be less accessible to everyday people. And because his stuff, his art was so accessible, I think that's one of the reasons why it was just dismissed out of hand. And know? I think with his popularity in the U.S., it explains to me a lot of similar styled um, Stations of the Cross paintings that I've seen. Yeah. That happened just shortly after his time period. Yeah. yeah. So there was definitely an influence that I feel has gone across um, to more people than I think is noted. So I don't know. We'll have to yeah. do a Stations of the Cross episode sometime and One of the, yeah. bring in some similarities. We will. We'll have to, we'll have to figure that out and um, yeah. And, and feature that. But I think, as I said, I mean, I, I hope people, can see how you can appreciate someone and still not really connect with the style Mm -hmm. of art, but really, really connect with the artist. I think that's, that's who Bouguereau is for me. I can connect with him, not necessarily his style. And that's Mm -hmm. why I just really wanted to share some of his, um, some of his work with people, because I think he can be quite powerful in, 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 um, Maybe in people's prayer lives, it, you know, there's so much to look at. It's so approachable. He really mm-hmm. wants you to be a part of it. And, um, and he, he loved what he did and it comes across in everything. And I think he probably, given what he, the choices that he made in his life in terms of 
opening up a, a school of art, not only to women, but also without any kind of fees or exams or sorry, nominal fees and no exam. I mean, mm-hmm. that really opened up uh, avenues for people who never would have had it otherwise. So, you know, he is, he is, he's a good friend to have, I think, you know, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think he's, he's a friend and get to know him a little bit better. Exactly. Yes. Thank you for bringing him to uh, us. No problem. Thank you. Thank you, William Adolphe Guitero. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to say it as well as you just did. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, my husband. I thank him because he's, he's the fr- Francophile in the house. So, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so thank you, everyone, for joining us. And um, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons, their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of sacred art and all the shows of StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to describe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or on the SQ on, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel at youtube.com slash StarQuest Media, where you can watch the show and see all the visual references. To find previous episodes of Secrets of Sacred Art and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash sacred art. You can email us at sacredart at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn or join our Discord Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And if you happen to discover one of his paintings out there, share it on Discord. We want to know. Absolutely. Yes. We would love that. We'd love to see those. Yeah, and talk about discovering art. We'll be back next time with a special crossover episode with another StarQuest show, Secrets of TV and Movies, where we'll be discussing the World War II movie Monuments Men. And we'll be taking a closer look at the incredible artworks that they rescued. We will be releasing this episode in both The Secrets of Sacred Art and Secrets of TV and Movie. Until next time, I'm Catherine Laffrey. And I'm Alex Murray. We hope you find something beautiful. Bye-bye. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious.